Good evening. Good to be with you all tonight. I just want to begin by expressing my appreciation and uh, my gratefulness for y'all's uh, willingness to allow me to come and speak tonight. It is a great honor and a privilege to be able to stand before you and, and to speak um, some words of encouragement and uh, to be able to preach on God's word. And uh, It's an honor and a privilege to do so among people that I call friends and, and brethren. And so I'm thankful for that opportunity. I hope and pray that first and foremost we'll honor and glorify God together. And I also pray secondly that we'll all be edified uh, by studying his word together. I'd like to remind myself and remind us all that we are continuing on in a worship service right now as we are turning to God's word together. We are worshiping God and honoring God by turning to his word together. And so I encourage everybody to follow along in your Bibles uh, and measure up whatever I have to say uh, in light of, of, of what God is saying through the inspired text. Um, it's been uh, tasked for me to talk about the, the matter of uh, defining discipleship. And so that, that's what we're going to be dealing with uh, tonight. But a couple of things that I'd, I want for us to think about with regard to this, to this topic. With regard to discipleship, we're going to be looking at this all um, throughout, throughout the remainder of this week, this matter of discipleship. But to, to kick things off, it was kind of a challenge to, to think about where to begin with, with this whole thing. So just to kind of hit the ground running, what I'd like for us to think about is this fact, that... <clears throat> You know, when you read about Jesus in the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that he made many disciples. And moreover, he commanded his closest disciples after his death, burial, and resurrection, before his ascension, he commanded his closest disciples to go and make more disciples. So the subject of discipleship is therefore very important. But the thing is, what is discipleship? And, and are, are there any requirements that, that come along with discipleship? Are, are there any lessons that we can learn by turning to the earliest examples of, disciple, of discipleship? That, those are some of the things that I think would be worthy of note for us to consider together tonight as we uh, you know, delve into this subject. Uh, so as we define discipleship, there... Um, are lots of different things that we can consider, but those are, those are kind of the primary elements of what we're going to look at tonight. Okay, but we're defining discipleship. That's, uh, that's our aim, that's our goal, that's what we're really going to be hammering home for tonight, is defining discipleship. So, as I was kind of tongue-in-cheek joking uh, with, with Kevin about over dinner tonight, um, <clears throat> to define discipleship, I guess uh, the best way to begin would be for us to literally define the word disciple, right? Uh, the term disciple refers primarily to students of Jesus and is found in the New Testament only in the four gospel accounts and also the book of Acts. Now the word means a learner, that is a pupil, and that's according to Strong's Hebrew and Greek uh, dictionaries. But uh, we can read in the New Testament that there were plenty of uh, early pupils and learners of Jesus, plenty of, uh, of followers during his earthly ministry. But there were some who, 
had a distinct mission. Some were, were sent out on what we commonly refer to as the limited commission. You know, and then later on we've got the great commission. Um, those individuals were charged with proclaiming the good news, the gospel to the world. But it was, it was during, uh, it was during the, what we call the great commission that Jesus spoke to his closest disciples and told them to go and make disciples of all the nations. And uh, he instructed them uh, of that. We have rec record of that in Matthew chapter 28. We've also got other instances. But these, these, these closest disciples who we refer to as apostles because they were commissioned by Jesus to do this very special work, they were to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Uh, but how they grew equipped to do that, how they grew equipped, these men who were specially appointed to this special task, how they grew equipped to go and make more disciples is very telling for us in our trying to define discipleship. So I want for us to consider that for a few moments. Consider how it was that Jesus molded his closest disciples. How he molded his apostles. Kind of go through the facts. And these are things that as Christians, uh, most, most everyone should, should be well aware of. Some of these things that we can, we can point out. Uh, Jesus called certain men uh, to become his, his followers, uh, his, his closest and dearest of followers. Those men in whom we now refer to as the apostles, how did they respond? They responded by devoting their very lives to Jesus. They followed after Jesus, committing their life to him, spending time with him and learning from him as their, as their Lord and as their master, as their master teacher, they became pupils and learners of Jesus, having committed their lives to him. That's very important to take note of. And it was during a period of about three and a half years that they witnessed him perform all sorts of miracles. Um, they heard his teaching and his, his life and his teaching, uh, the signs, they all matched and so they, they grew to believe in his claim of deity, that he was indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so, <clears throat> that being said, you know, they heard him teach. They heard this master teach. They spent, you know, three and a half uh, years or so with him. But there were times when he was on earth during that early ministry that they didn't, they didn't have all of the answers that they were looking for at that time. They often heard Jesus teach and they questioned what he was talking about. So when they had opportunities and their intimate moments with him, they would, they would ask questions. So as a pupil, as a learner of Christ, these individuals, when they didn't understand everything about what Jesus was instructing, they asked questions. Now these are the facts. These are important facts. Because if you want to be a good disciple, then let's look to their example, right? Um, they ask questions uh, for clarification on various points of doctrine. Also, these men, uh, they, they learned from Jesus' example. They observed his, his example. They heard him teach over a period, like I said, of about th three and a half years. But when the time drew near for Jesus to be crucified, when the time drew near... Uh, for him to be crucified, Jesus told them that they would be granted the spirit of truth who would guide them, bringing to their remembrance all things that he had said to them over that three and a half year period 
of time. We can read about this in John chapter 14, uh, picking up in verse 25. Jesus is recorded there as saying, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Moreover, the Bible tells us about the fulfillment of that promise that Jesus had made. We can read about the fulfillment of that promise in Acts chapter 1 and in Acts chapter 2 uh, and how when Jesus ascended to be with the Father, he then from heaven sent forth uh, the Holy Spirit, poured the Holy Spirit onto those individuals and they began to speak in different utterances on the day of Pentecost and then we can read about the first gospel uh, sermons being taught there and on the day of Pentecost. Peter's, record, Peter's is recorded for us. Um, but here's the deal. Jesus commissioned his closest disciples to go and to make more disciples. And how were they able to go? How were they able to go and do that successfully? Well, by the Lord's blessing, ultimately. But they were equipped to do that because they had committed themselves to discipleship. They were well equipped to go make other disciples because they indeed were disciples. Spending time with Jesus, learning from Him, committing their lives to Him. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they were able to remember all of Christ's teachings, to pass along His doctrine to, to all who would listen. And um, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to read in the New Testament of how they carried out that work. I'd ask that you turn with me over to the book of Acts. Let's, let's turn over together to Acts chapter 2. Familiar, familiar text for, for Christians. Um, but how they carried out the Great Commission is detailed um, somewhat in the book of Acts. We have, the, we have the inspired writings telling us of how they went about certain men uh, carrying out this Great Commission. And what they did when they went about, they, they taught of Christ's deity. That's something in which, you know, we need to remember first and foremost. That they went about teaching Christ's deity. And they also went about teaching of Christ's example that he set for all mankind. They went about spreading his doctrine. The things in which they had remembered, the things that, in which the Holy Spirit had called to their remembrance, they went about teaching. They also went about teaching of Christ's sacrifice for mankind's sin, uh, I'm sorry, for all of mankind's sins and also of his kingdom. And as a result, many people responded by repenting, by confessing, and by, by confessing their belief in Jesus Christ as the resurrected Savior, many put Christ on in a watery grave of baptism. And we see thereby from the scriptures that when people heard the gospel message and they believed it, they were called to action. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, in that first gospel sermon that we have recorded for us, Peter, after putting forth the evidence for the people to examine uh, by way of observing the gifts of the Holy Spirit and then also this inspired teaching, uh, Peter says there in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? 
So their conscience was were hurt. They believed in the message. And Peter said to them, verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and so forth. And we read there in verse 46, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now that's according to the New King James Version, which I'm reading. So in the carrying out of the Great Commission, we see these elements presented in the Scriptures that the apostles taught of Christ's deity, example, teaching, sacrifice of His kingdom, and people responded by faithful obedience. To the, to the Lord's commands and the apostolic commands. And when you, when you get to Acts chapter 11, it's there that Luke informs the reader, us, that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. That's recorded in Acts chapter 11, verse 27. And the word Christian uh, means follower of Christ. Follower of Christ. And uh, so that, that's interesting to think about. When you put together the definitions of these words, okay, to, to be a disciple, well, that means to be a pupil. That means to be a learner. And you consider the things in which people would, 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 would be a pupil for. What, what kind of things are people learning? Well, we've gone through that. Well, how about this following aspect? How about this following aspect? Well, one must learn the doctrine of Christ in order to become a disciple. That's pretty well implied with the very definition of the term. But also, um, the scriptures teach us how you make disciples. In that great commission, consider that Jesus came and spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. How? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's a short-term work. So if you want to make disciples, what you do is, is you, pattern, you pattern your life and you pattern, you pattern your way of living and, and, and your adherence to God's teaching after Christ. And you go and you, you share your faith with others. And the short-term goal is to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit for the remission of, of their sins. But you don't stop there, right? What's the long-term goal? With regard to the discipleship, Jesus tells us, you know, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you along with you always, even to the end of the age. So to make disciples, you teach people, you baptize them. That's the short-term goal, but it's about a commitment of life to Christ. And that's what we're going to build on here for the remainder of the lesson. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. You know, there needs to be a sense of urgency that we have in talking to people about the need to obey the gospel. Sure enough, yes. Uh, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. But, you know, it's more than just getting wet, isn't it? Discipleship, it's about committing yourself to Christ and committing yourself to, to His way 
of living. So the conclusion of these last two points, well, boils down to this. There were certain men in the first century who were, in fact, they were, they were directed by the Holy Spirit in their work and in their teaching. And they went about commissioned by Christ. They were well equipped to go make disciples of all the nations. They were well equipped to do that in a miraculous way. But you know, the thing is, those who were directed by the Holy Spirit, they were directed by the Holy Spirit not only to go and to teach and to do miracles and things like that, they were also directed by the Holy Spirit to go write certain things down. Things of God. Things in which we can read about today that present evidence of the fact that Jesus is deity, that Jesus is the Christ. Let's turn together to John again. John chapter 20. Right after John provides the account of Thomas and his interaction with the resurrected Jesus um, and his requesting to see the, the imprints in the Lord's hand and in his side, after he's presented with that evidence, we see Thomas expressing his belief in Jesus as, as God. And Jesus said to him in John chapter 20, Beginning verse 29, Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is toward the end of this book and John is telling the reader that we have sufficient evidence to believe. Through this writing we have sufficient evidence to believe that Jesus is everything that he said he was. Everything that he claimed to be. We have the evidence provided for us in scripture to prove his deity. And even the apostle Paul wrote things down so that his readers could understand the mystery that had been revealed to him, the mystery, the things in which were, were formerly unknown. He wrote of the things that can now be known so that we may grow in our faith. And, and I know, brethren, that this is a short sketch of history, but I, I, what I want to do is I, I, hope, I hope that we can, we can just see through their examples the, the, the apostles' examples, the importance of spending time with Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. And how do we do that today? Well, we can spend time with Jesus through the reading and accepting of his teaching. But we need to do more than just accept it in a way of, of just a mental acceptance. And what I'm getting at is just acknowledging things as truth. To say, uh-huh, yeah, I agree with that. That's truth. It involves more than just a, a mental form of acceptance or a mental agreement. We could, we could devote entire studies to this, but defining discipleship of Jesus Christ requires the following. And I'm going to provide a list here for you. And these, this is not a comprehensive list, but these are, these are things that are required by Christ. And the first one I've got on the board over here is complete devotion and loyalty 
to Him. Jesus requires complete devotion and loyalty to Him. And that, that requires putting the Lord's interests above our own interests. And, and putting the Lord's interests and the Lord's desires above my own desires and your own desires and even our, 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 our most dear loved one's desires. It requires that we put Christ's interests above all. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus is recorded as saying, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's interesting. You, you, you consider the words of Jesus, and he says hate. Um, why does he use why, why do we have that word that is translated that strongly for us? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciples. Why do we have that terminology? Because you know, Jesus, he, he could have said, you know, you need to love them less, but this word is used to, to show how much of a contrast there should be. People should be able to look to your life as a disciple of Christ. They should be able to look to my life as a disciple of Christ and see that there's a big difference in how I love my family, how I love my wife, versus how, how much I love my Lord and how devoted I am to my Lord. And every decision that I make, every action that I make, should be directed by that adherence to Christ and the devotion I have to His teaching. That's what Jesus is talking about. We'll get back to verse 27, but let's read that. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. We talk about this passage and we often refer to the cost of discipleship. There is a cost, but... In between these passages, we read that, you know, that Jesus, he pretty well tells us that, well, we have an option as to whether or not we're going to follow him, but, you know, we don't have much of an option as to whether or not we're going to go to war. question is, whose side are we on? This idea of discipleship may seem very demanding, but it's because it is demanding. And, and I find it interesting when you go through and you start pulling words out like astonished or astonishing in connection with Jesus' teaching. I'll provide this for you to think about. When Jesus taught others firsthand, I submit to you that his hearers were often astonished. That word astonished is interesting. It speaks to the fact that he shocked his audiences. There was a shock factor. Uh, there was a reaction of the people when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, he caused astonishment. People were astonished at his teaching. He caused astonishment in Matthew chapter 13, verse 54, in his own country. And Mark states of occasions when even his disciples were beyond measure astonished. Mark chapter 5, verse 42, chapter 7, verse 38. And that word astonish in the original wording. I want to provide a definition for you. It means to be greatly struck. 
Webster supplies this definition. To strike with sudden fear or wonder. Astound, amaze. You think about that. To strike with sudden fear or wonder. Astound, amaze. When people hear the word of Christ proclaimed today, it shouldn't be... It shouldn't be something unheard of that, that folks would be astonished at his teaching. Even for us today as his disciples, we should have that wow factor. When we read the words of the Lord, it, it should strike us. There are certain things that he demands of us that are, that are calling us to a greater calling than what we could fathom on our own. We indeed ought to be astonished at his at his doctrine. We should be struck with reverence, wonder, and amazement by his requirement to put his interests above anything and anyone else. He demands devotion. He demands loyalty to him above all else. And so defining discipleship, that's a very important element. Another important element is, is for us to remember our place yet while striving to imitate him. Now consider with me Luke chapter 6. Let's turn there together. Luke chapter 6. It's here that, that Jesus provides a, a general principle uh, that, that applies to discipleship. And in Luke chapter 6, we'll just read verse 40 and 46. Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Verse 46, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Here's a general principle concerning discipleship, and it's applied to Jesus. When we, when we follow after Jesus, we are to, to emulate Him. And, and this, this provides good food for thought, because when we think about serving Jesus, what should we always do? We should always remain humble. Always seeking after humility. Remembering why it is that we serve Jesus in the first place. Why it is that we're seeking to emulate Him in the first place. I think this is a good exercise for me to remember. No matter how devoted we become. No matter how much we can learn of the Scriptures. No matter how many works I can do in the name of Christ. Let's always remember that Jesus is the one who was ultimately devoted to God so much that he never sinned, not even once. Moreover, Jesus' knowledge of all things spiritual is infinite. And as far as works go, no mortal man is ever going to outdo what he's done for mankind. That should keep us humble. And yet humility is something we struggle with at times. But that's a fundamental thing that we need to go back to. Yet here's the thing. If, if we're correctly trained, the beautiful thing is we can be like our master. If Jesus is going to command us to do something, make no mistake about it, we can do it. And so we've just got to keep the proper perspective. If we're trained correctly, we can be like our teacher. We just need to remember our place as we strive to serve after him. Consider John chapter 13. We've got that reference on the board there. John chapter 13, verse 34. John chapter 13, 
verse 34, I think is a, a wonderful, wonderful teaching moment that Jesus provides. Where Jesus is recorded as saying, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, it's at this point that we want to recognize Jesus could have left it right then and there. He could have said to his disciples, Hey, here's a new commandment that I give you, and that's to love one another. They didn't stop right there. Consider what he says, reading further. He says, As I have loved you, that you also love one another. You see, Jesus raised the bar. He didn't just say, Hey, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. He raised the bar. He said, hey, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. He raised the bar. So when we consider discipleship of Christ, even when it comes to loving one another, Jesus calls us to something higher. He calls us to something more than what we could ever hope to be without Him. And I think that's so fundamental when it comes to discipleship. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The type of love that Jesus expressed for his disciples. Jesus compelled his disciples to be, to be more than what they were without him. He motivated them. He compelled them. He, he, he encouraged them. He never made them do anything, but he compelled them. He motivated them to be more than what they were. So let's strive for that humility and diligence and, and ultimately seeing that the discipleship of Christ demands complete devotion and loyalty to Him, remembering our place while striving to imitate Him. And also, it demands from us an emulation of a life lived, including sacrifice. Back to that passage in Luke chapter 14, verse 27. You know, all disciples, in a sense are called to make the ultimate sacrifice. I can tell you, there were folks who were very shocked, I'm certain, when Jesus declared, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 27. And why do I say that? How can, I, how can we say that with certainty? Well, have you, ever, have you ever read any history of where men have made others dig their own grave before being put to death? Have you ever done any research on that? It's a pretty morbid thing, and you might even, your, your eyes may cast upon images on the internet if you were to Google that. It's a very striking thing. It's a very shocking thing. Let me tell you something. In the first century in Galilee, when Jesus talked about the necessity of a disciple to take up his cross and to bear it. And unless you're willing to do that, you cannot follow him. You know what would have come into the minds of his, of his hearers was the fact that they lived in a land where you know, they could observe on the landscape a man walking across uh, the pasture or the road there with a, a literal cross on his back surrounded by Roman soldiers. And the people who observe that sort of thing, they recognize that that man carrying the cross, he's going to meet his death, and he's not coming back. So when Jesus used this as his teaching, that's the imagery that these people had. And it was a first-hand thing. It was very astonishing. 
And so it, it spoke to literally putting oneself to death. And this, this is not just a, an abstract thing to think about. These are, these are very real instances in which Jesus called upon men to think about. And you know, the first century Christians understood this very well. How do we know? Because so many of them, they, they gave their lives to, to, to Jesus in such a way to where they literally were martyred for their faith. So many of them were. So many who were converted died for their faith. Many were tortured and they died a grisly death. That's the type, that's the type of allegiance that people gave to Jesus Christ in the first century. They were willing to die a martyr's death because they, they understood that, that, that Jesus spoke of giving one's life to Him as a necessity to sacrifice oneself. People understood that. They were willing to do that. And we, you know, we live in this country and I'm thankful to live in this country. Those of us within this generation, though, we, we don't typically think of Christianity in that way. And it's often reflected in our own measure of devotion to God and, and, and the comforts that we have they sometimes outweigh our devotion to Christ. Think about it this way. All disciples, all disciples in some way, shape, or form are called to give their lives, whether it be literally or figuratively. We are to devote our lives to Christ's way of living. We are to sacrifice self. We are to put self to death. Let's consider Luke again Luke chapter 9 Luke chapter 9 beginning with verse 23 Luke chapter 9 uh, verse 23 then he said to them all if anyone desires to come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me that's not in every rendering let him take up his cross daily and follow me but Paul did say that he died daily in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Jesus would continue on in verse 24 to say, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and, and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Disciples, we are called upon to devote our lives to Christ's way of living, as is prescribed through His teaching. And yet, we find too often that, that, that folks are, are not willing to adhere to Christ's way of living even within the comforts of our own society, much less die a martyr's death. But I tell you what will be helpful for us if, if we want to be more devoted to Christ is to think of the astonishment that Jesus would have called upon us to think about. I mean, do we understand that Jesus himself, the, 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 the same loving and compassionate Jesus of the Bible, taught such a revolutionary and an extreme message that he claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be God in the flesh. 
He claimed that he was the source of all spiritual sustenance. And he also, though, he declared that unless we accept those things, and unless we accept those things, then not only are we not going to have access to the Father, but if we reject his teachings, then we'll, we'll burn in an eternity in hell. That is an astounding thing. Those are shocking declarations. And yet he gained a huge following because he backed up every one of his claims with irrefutable evidence. The point is, is that people were instilled within their hearts a reverence that this is God Almighty, the one who created everything that we're bowing to and that we seek to serve. So people revered him as God. They were willing to, to, to devote their lives to him in such a way as to literally give their life for him. And along with that, there were folks who were willing to also pattern their lives, their daily lives, after him. And so that leads us to these points. The, the putting away of sinful practices and attitudes, that's another thing. Those are things that Jesus requires. We've got lists like the ones recorded for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5. That's not an all-comprehensive list, though. I'm looking around this room, and I see everyone's in agreement with everything that we're saying so far, but I think that we recognize the, that, that list, don't we? Many of the actions, the, the, sinful, the sinful things that are described there, like fornication, adultery, drunkenness, homosexuality, lewdness, things like that, those things are mentioned. How about attitudes? Jesus, he not only demands that we put away sinful practices, I'll tell you something that, we, that I still very much have to be mindful of, and that's, that's the sinful attitudes that we have to put away. I mean, in my growth as a Christian, being converted in my early 20s, there are some of those things that I had to really struggle with in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, early on in my walk. Well, those aren't things that I necessarily struggle with now. But I tell you what, bitterness, anger, clamor, wrath, those are things that we need to continually work on to put away. And the book of Ephesians provides a great example in teaching us that, that we're to put off characteristics of the old man, put on characteristics of the new. And Peter tells us that if we are really going to be mindful of that, that, that sacrificial death that Jesus made, that he paid on the cross for us, then we'll continue to grow until we meet our maker, won't we? So that's something that Jesus requires of us, is to put away sinful practices and attitudes. But <clears throat> discipleship, defining discipleship, we also want to include this. It's not just a putting away of sinful practices and attitudes. There are some things that we need to add to our lives as well, and that's a consciousness of God in all things. If we really, really want to understand true discipleship, that's something in which we can all grow in and be reminded of, isn't it? We got Romans chapter 14, verse 6. How about, how about just in the food that we eat? We have an abundance of food in, in this land where we... Well, we can give thanksgiving to God for the good foods uh, that we have. You think about your marriage relationship. You think about your work. You think about your everyday relationship that you have between your fellow man. There ought to be a consciousness of God in all things. You know, how often do we grow discouraged when we see it in other people's lives that they're 
they're on fire when we come to meet each other, but then out on the street, they're a different person. It's easy to see that in the lives of others. But let's be looking inward. Jesus requires a consciousness of God in all things, in everyday worship, in everyday thanksgiving. So as we wrap this thing up, I'd like to ask us, do we, do we have the same mind as the, the disciples of the first century? Do we have that same type of devotion? I, I don't claim to be able to hit every, everything that would, that would motivate us to be able to do that tonight, but I do want for us to be mindful of this. That if we will pay attention soberly, prayerfully, reading our scriptures daily, then, then we, can, we can more faithfully emulate and imitate those who imitated Christ. I believe that can be done. But we've got to have a sense of seriousness about us and we need to continually remember the sacrifice that was paid on our behalf. And if we'll make that our aim, brethren, over time, as we grow we can develop not just the mindset of those early disciples, but we can, we can faithfully develop the mind of Christ. And that's what I want to encourage us in. Our, our lesson for tonight has been kind of broad-reaching in its scope. I, I hope that it's been beneficial to you. Believe it or not, it's been a very beneficial study for me. And I just hope that the, the presentation of this study has glorified God number one, and that it's also provided some benefit to you. Um, that brings things to a close. If you would, go ahead and take your song books out, turn to the song that has been selected. Just, I guess, a couple of closing thoughts for you to consider would be up here on the board. In defining discipleship, we've looked at what that literally means. That means to, to become a disciple means to become a pupil. Uh, to become a learner of Christ. But the, the beauty is, is that if we will be completely trained, we can be like our master. We don't just have to learn and grasp and hope that one day we'll make it. No, we, we really can be like our master in all things. Let's remain humble in, in seeking to achieve that end. Always studying seeking a better dedication to the Lord in all things, and emulating Christ in all things. As we bring things to a close, we do want to extend the invitation. Maybe there's someone here tonight who has thought about discipleship. Maybe you have thought about Jesus and His sacrifice for you. and You've not given it the due attention that maybe you should have up to this point. But maybe as you examine things tonight, maybe you recognize that that tonight is a good opportunity uh, for you to confess your belief in Christ and commit your life to Christ to become his disciple. You can do that tonight in the short term. You can be baptized for the remission of your sins. You can be raised out of a watery grave to walk in a newness of life, committing your life to Christ. You can live this day forward as a disciple, as a Christian, and you can continue in learning all of the things in which Jesus taught and if, if, if you would like to do that, I know the brethren here want to assist you in doing that if you've not done so already. If you have done that but you have sin in your life and you've not been living as God calls you to live, if it's of a, pub, if it's of a private nature, 
then repent of your sins and pray to God that he'll perhaps forgive you of your, the thought of your wickedness. If it's of a public nature and you need to make things right publicly, we do want to encourage you to do whatever is necessary. Uh, we'd love to pray for you, pray with you, whatever the need be. But it's now that we customarily extend an invitation uh, to those who need it as together we stand and sing.